I want people to feel like I created a space for many different voices. I am so unapologetic about saying this is what I want my legacy to be. If I can't be super proud of it and feel like I am helping others in the pursuit of a fulfilling career, then I don't know what I'm here for. Welcome to A Success of Our Own. A Success of Our Own is an invitation for us to courageously define our own version of success beyond the mainstream metrics we've been told we should want so that we can create a sustainable and joyful success that we can finally relax into. I'm your host, Natalie Ruskin. I'm a journalist with an inquiring mind, a meditation teacher seeking the divine, and a community gatherer helping others live life more inspired. This podcast offers you the opportunity to learn and grow through inspiring personal stories of transformation, ideas, and practices. As you listen to this podcast, breathe it in and let it slow you down even a bit. Trust that simply listening in this less effortful way, you'll experience a shift. You'll find that puzzle piece you've been seeking. Join me in this moment, and let's take a risk together at living a success of our own. There are few women I know who fully own who they are in the all-in kind of way that Garvia Bailey does. She is a multi-award winning journalist and was an on-air host, producer, and columnist for the CBC and Jazz FM. Most recently, Garvia co-founded Media Girlfriends, a production company which aims to amplify underrepresented voices in media. Garvia fully embodies all of her parts beyond the shoulds of what her industry or others want her to be. This art of owning it, and it really is an art, has been a real journey for Garvia. You know, when you're in media like that, it can be really easy for your full self to not be recognized. People want a portion of that self. It's very easy to lose yourself and then be afraid that if you lean into something other than what people are expecting and wanting, if you lean into that too much, it's very easy to lose yourself. She's going to share with us how she navigated away from the shoulds and towards what was uniquely hers to own. But first, a memory. When Garvia responded with an enthusiastic yes to coming on the podcast, it brought me right back to that warm and welcoming feeling I had when I first met this powerhouse of a human. Nearly 20 years ago, when I first entered the CBC Toronto building as a very nervous intern for the local radio show, Garvia was there, taking up space in the bold and beautiful way that she so effortlessly does. Up until that point, CBC Radio was the steady sound amplified through all rooms of my Toronto childhood home, the veritable high church of Canadian culture. And now I was inside the CBC, this massive and daunting physical edifice of my childhood broadcasting heroes. 
seriously, the imposter syndrome for me in those early CBC days was deafening. So in my first week as an intern, I get to meet the Garvia Bailey. Statuesque, beautiful big smile, and bold. Also black, the only black woman I remember meeting and seeing in the entire CBC radio world at that time. And one of maybe five people of color amidst a sea of whites. In that very first encounter, Garvia took me under her proverbial wing with a generous, you got this kind of expression. In that very first moment, she got me. She sensed the deer in headlights situation happening. And every time we saw each other thereafter, she'd check in with me in a big sister kind of way. I always felt like at the CBC that I was in it, but not necessarily of it. It just made me hyper aware that other people kind of perhaps were feeling that same way. When I see something like that, like I just feel like, oh, I want to reach out to that person. Garvia went on to become a change maker for inclusivity and innovative programming within the sounds and spaces of Canada's media world. Yet even back in 2004, as one of the only Black women at the CBC, Garvia sensed in me that longing to belong. Today, I have the gift to ask the trailblazer and bonafide broadcaster Garvia Bailey about her journey of belonging and re-envisioning a success of her own. Garvia, this feels like a total lifetime moment to have you on my podcast and I get to interview Stop. you. Seriously. <laughs> I've, I've told you, I remember my early, early, early days. I was an intern at the CBC. I couldn't like, my breathing was like very shallow because I was so nervous and in awe of where I was. And you right away just showed up with such love and inclusiveness every day checking in how's it going and such a great energy and that just always stayed with me and I feel like you were always a face that I loved to see in that building even though we didn't get a chance to work together I did feel that that true connection and I think it has a lot to do with you know that feeling I always felt like at the CBC that I was in it but not necessarily of it Mm. and so I think that maybe it just made me hyper aware that other people kind of perhaps were feeling that same way, like a little bit overwhelmed by the whole thing and unsure when I see something like that. Like, I don't know, maybe it's a motherly mm. instinct or whatever. I just feel like, oh, I want to reach out to that person because <laughs> they feel like me. It was. It was like this war- this arm around me. Like, oh. I got you. We're good. We're good. I I see you. Yeah, thank you. The in it versus of it, is that something you've been paying attention to more and more since those early years at the CBC? I think that that is just a protective mechanism that I've always had. And other than the job that I I find myself in now, you know, in having our own company, up until then, I think that it, it became a very important part of my tool chest, like my self-preservation tool chest to go into an organization like the CBC that I know is massive, that didn't feel quite right to me in all the ways that young journalists, marginalized folks were Mm -hmm. 
feeling in this space. Like I wasn't just all, I wasn't always sure. I think it's a part of my, my self-preservation toolkit to enter into an, a place and not give, like give mm-hmm. all of my skills, but not give over to whatever that culture is that makes it very hard to um, see yourself clearly. I think that as soon as you get into the, I am of this place now, that's when you kind of kind of lose that objectivity that you need to survive and to to be really good to yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're in a culture, and CBC is very much a culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a cultural thing. And once you are deep into the culture, it can be sometimes hard to critique that culture. And hard to have discernment around your own choices and your own values because it can be very, I know for me, I, it was, you know, 12 hours a day. It, it completely swallowed me up and Mm -hmm. impacted me in really wonderful ways. And then in ways that I absolutely lost myself. Same, same. When you were there, I was thinking about this yesterday, you, Nikki Davis, like there was this mm-hmm. one guy in training, you know where I'm going with this, like you <laughs> were like the three, you know, there were other people of color, but you were the three black people I knew on that whole, like, I think it was the third floor, fourth floor, they that's kept right. changing we're, it. That's right. Third, three and four. That's right. <laughs> what was it when you coming back to that interesting phrase of in it versus of it? Can you, for me, who I just was, you know, of the majority, was there an awareness of being one of the onlys at that time? And what did that feel like for you? Yeah. What actually brought me to the CBC was definitely feeling like uh, voices like my own young Black women. Mm. Uh, I wasn't hearing a lot of it. I was listening to a lot of the CBC, but I, I I really felt like there was many perspectives that were missing. So when I started working there, it was always with that, like even reaching out to the CBC, the program was out front at the time, personal pro- mm-hmm. storytelling program. So even reaching out to them, I was like, I would like to hear more voices like my own. Out front was a uh, was a place where I could do that. And then when I started working there, that was the first thing I wanted to do was bring in more voices like my own into the mix. And, and that was one of my first major projects. But the trap door is feeling like you are painted in, into a certain box that you are supposed to be a certain thing. Although you want to bring perspective of, you know, a, a Black female's perspective to it. That means many things. There is no Mm. one monolithic black Mm -hmm. female perspective. So there was that. And then, you know, as the only person of color on a floor or one of just a couple, as you, as you pointed out, it just felt like it would be easy to be painted into a certain square and then not be able to really exercise the full scope of who you are, you know? Mm. And I feel like I contain multitudes mm. as we all do. Uh, you know, I grew up in a really small town. I know more about, you know, buck and does and tractor pulls. I have pulls. no idea what that what you Exactly just said. <laughs> what I'm saying. But as a Black woman, if I bring that perspective to the table, people are like, what? That's not supposed to be your lane. Right. And I was right. like, 
but it totally is my lane because that's my reality. So there was always like that fear, like it walking in those spaces, whenever you mm. walk into a majority white space and you're seen as only or other, you do have to be very careful, careful for yourself is mm-hmm. what I mean. Like, and media is funny. Like being in, in journalism spaces is funny. It's easy to have, it's, you're meant to have a beat, right? Like mm. you cover this and you cover that. But when a perceived mm. notion of your identity becomes your beat, that can be pretty limiting and it can be pretty hard on the, on your spirit. Did did you find that that happened to you? And I'm not asking this, of course, from a kind of judgmental place, but how much do you think the perpetuating, if that did happen, came from your own fear of, I'm supposed to be, this is what they want from me. I should be this way. This is how will get me success. Yes. Mm. Yes. Because other people start to define what, what success looks like to you, right? like what your success is. And because we're in media and because in my role in media at the time, I was very public, right? Mm -hmm. So I was on the air, I was on television, I was all those things. And people were telling me, oh yeah, we love the way you do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Do more of that. Be more of this person. And I'll be honest, like now that I look back at it, that person was an aspect of me, Mm. but it wasn't my fullness. You know, when you're in media like that, it can be really easy for your full self to not be recognized. Mm -hmm. People want a portion of that self to be out in the world. And it's very easy to lose yourself and then be afraid that if you lean into something other than what people are expecting and wanting and really like goading you in you know telling you that Mm -hmm. like that success if you lean into that too much it's very easy to lose yourself can you remember at all even on a physiological level what what did it feel like for you to have that disconnect at that time I think success can be a real trap you Mm -hmm. know because I felt like I was doing really well in my Mm -hmm. job Mm -hmm. I was being told I was doing really well in my job I was, I'd be out at the grocery store and people would say, oh, I mm-hmm. love listening to mm-hmm. you on the air. You're so great and so wonderful and all of that. But I think that as the years went by, as I grew as just a human being, I think it started to feel a little bit hollow. And I felt like, you know, getting up in the morning and going into my job was starting to feel hard. And people will tell you, people have hard jobs like working is hard, like it's not supposed to be amazing, <laughs> but you're not supposed to cry in the shower. Mm. Honestly, I don't know, Natalie, if I could just have at in those moments, right. I could put my finger on yeah. exactly what the thing was, but I knew that there was something profoundly amiss. When you say, you know, people say jobs are hard and we almost have to equalize our comments Mm. because we don't want to sound like we were being not grateful for what we had and that there aren't challenges. And you're a certain type of being, Garvia, which Mm. is you always were and you are more than ever very tuned in. Like we talked about part of that connection that we had before we even could articulate it was there was this awareness of being tuned into what isn't being 
spoken. And some people might call that sensitivity. For some people, I'll say my husband, we'll see if he lets me keep this clip in, um, (laughs) who works in an emergency room in the busiest sector of this country. And he's been there for nearly 15 years. And he can just freaking go in there through COVID, everything, and just get through it. And he has this constitution where, I mean, COVID was brutal for everyone, but he can compartmentalize and Mm -hmm. he's freaking brilliant when he's in this crisis. He just can handle all the stuff coming at him and that's his zone of genius. And what I'm getting at is, was, was there also a piece, like a coming to in yourself of like, I'm different, like forget about I'm different, like from a race perspective, but I'm Mm -hmm. different from a energetic constitution. I need a different kind of work experience to feel that I'm Mm -hmm. honoring myself. Mm -hmm. Well, that's such a good way of um, sort of framing that. I have always have been a very sensitive being, sensitive to people's moods, sensitive to people's emotions. And I think that that's what made me good at my job, you know, mm. interviewing people and getting to the essence of of someone's story. Uh, those are the things that are strengths to me. But at the same time, working in the journalism sphere, those mm. strengths could be seen as weaknesses, yep. perhaps, or not as honored as and, and maybe what I really was starting to search for is a space that I could just honor the fullness of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, as I got older and more inclined to think about my life holistically, mm-hmm. I think it became quite clear to me that I couldn't leave parts of myself. And that sensitivity piece is just so important. I couldn't leave parts of that behind. I couldn't, you know, hide that little light under <laughs> under a bushel. Mm-hmm. My best friends that I, that I have are from that mm-hmm. time. The people that are th- with me through it all now that, you know, in my nineties, I will be with those people uh, come from that time and that place. You kind of started a company with them, didn't you? I kind of started a company (laughs) with them and have found Mm. the place where I can be fully, completely myself Mm. and wake up in the morning and feel like, okay, we have hard things to do today, but even my hardest days are better than what my best days Mm. were at other jobs, you know? So getting up and knowing that and knowing that the fullness of who I am, that I can go to my coworkers now and my co-founders and say, you know what, y'all, this is what's bothering me right now. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you that my sensitive, sensitive Mm -hmm. heart is Mm -hmm. feeling like X, Y, and Z is happening. Or my sensitive, sensitive intuition Mm -hmm. is saying, that going down this path is not the path we want to go oh my God, Go down. Can you imagine saying that in a story right? meeting? Right? CBC. Guys, intuitively, <laughs> I'm feeling like, you know what I mean? Like you would be laughed out of the building. Oh my gosh. And in a way, I kind of laugh myself out of, mm. out of the building in that <laughs> if I couldn't have those conversations, I don't know... I don't know why mm. I was there. I couldn't go, you know, another 20 years doing that. I want to hear about the company and the work you're doing in a moment. I want to stay for one more thought here with 
that turning point for you where there was this kind of real taking care of yourself and setting that limit for people who might be listening and thinking, yeah, I mean, I kind of relate, but how do I know when it's time to cut ties? Yeah. Well, I guess that's a, it's a twofold question. So the CBC, I knew when to cut ties when I felt like it kind of prepared me for the bigger cutting Mm -hmm. of ties to media writ large, like the legacy media companies or working for someone else Mm -hmm. or working in a space that wasn't healthy. First, it was the cutting ties with CBC, which meant like cutting ties with a version of myself that had been built over many, many years, Mm -hmm. close to a decade and being okay with that and saying, I don't need to be a spokesperson or speaking to my ego and mm-hmm. just letting that go. Mm-hmm. That was one part of it. So I don't know if that was reaching bottom or actually reaching a little bit higher, elevating myself to the point where my ego wasn't the thing that was being fed. It was something else. And the person that I was bringing home to my family was not a happy person. Mm-hmm. So once that kind of clicked in for me, great. Then when I started my job with Jazz FM, And things started going sideways there when I realized that there was a lot of toxicity in that environment and became sort of the spokesperson for Mm -hmm. calling that out. And it became very apparent that this was going to be the hardest situation that I was going to find myself in. Like it was going to be the toughest part of my professional life Mm -hmm. was pushing back against an organization that thought that there was absolutely nothing wrong Mm -hmm. when it was quite obvious that that. They were actually doing a lot of harm to a lot of individuals. And, you know, being the person to step up and speak truth to power is also something that, you know, is as much a part of my sensitive DNA as, as a sensitivity. It's a part of who I need to be. I think they're interconnected. I could not watch other people suffer. And then I couldn't watch myself suffer under that kind of work environment. It's work, you know, it's getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. It's not above being called out. That was a very hard time. And I did end up litigating and that all got worked out in the mix as time passed. But I'll tell you, Natalie, I have never been so low. I have never been so battered and bruised and on the edge as I was during that time I was being told that it was me like like of course of course you know, the gaslighting that all of this was happening because I was bad at my Ugh. job like in what universe y'all like <sighs> and there was times when that that narrative was being pushed out in the public sphere mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. When you brought back in the sensitivity piece, I had chills because the word that kept coming to mind for me is strength. What strength it takes to speak up when everybody else just says, well, this is work. You just do this. The very thing that maybe at times at the CBC felt like, oh, why do I have this thing that makes me feel like I'm weak and I can't just, I mean, maybe I'm projecting and this was my own perspective at the CBC, but the very thing that could have been perceived as weak was was such a strength for you, mm-hmm. not without some collateral damage to your yes. being. What allowed you to, in the kind of face of that, supported you to stay true to that knowing in yourself that there's something that is just, this is not okay? 
you know what? I was the only one that that got litigious with it, mm. but there were other people in the background that were like, yeah, this is, you're absolutely right. People that left the organization as well. People that I started a small, you know, independent online radio station with, Jazzcast. Mm-hmm, I remember that. Danny and Walter were just wonderful, wonderful people that were from that time that really supported me and understood that what I was pushing against was right and true and just. And I think a lot of people understood that. The other thing that really helped is that by that time, I was like, I don't give a shit. Mm. I know that as hard as this is, I am right. Mm. I am 100% right. Mm -hmm. And that really you know, floated my boat during that time as well. And I have a great partner. My partner was like, you know, in Braveheart, I think it is, when Mel's character says, on my mark, unleash hell or something like that. And then the dog goes (laughs) and the dog's name is hell. Like my mom is the strongest person that you will ever meet. She came to this country as an immigrant. She came on her own. Hmm. She left me as a baby behind and my brothers and Hmm. sisters and came to Canada as a lone person to work (sighs) as a domestic worker. And she stayed here and she did the work and she dealt with all the slings and arrows. And she always just said to me, if not now, when? Mm. That was when I was changing jobs from the CBC. And then the other part of it was when I was standing up for things at at, uh, the the next job at Jazz FM. She was like, if not you, who? Mm. And I was like, okay, okay, Eva, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Like your own mom calling you out like this is who you are. Like my mother named me after Marcus Garvey. You know, he is the one that inspired you know, Martin Luther King oh and God. and uh, and Malcolm X and all of the, those those civil rights leaders came out of the teachings of Marcus Garvey. So my mom was like serious about this business. If you are going to stand up for yourself and your workmates. Go all in. Hmm. So all of those things really made it possible for me to to stand through it and. I would say that I am still dealing with it on a personal level, but this past year has been the most fulfilling and wonderful time for me because I feel like all of that is so much in the rearview mirror mm-hmm. and I'm reaping all of the rewards mm-hmm. of of what came before. Mm-hmm. And of those qualities that you so courageously embodied that if that were factory installed through the naming and <laughs> yes. the pedigree and are, we're, we're there and ready to kind of take root when, yeah. mm-hmm, when the time was right. We talked about this beautiful mm-hmm. company you've created. How have those experiences with work and the parts that felt not of you how mm-hmm. have those pieces shaped what you've created now? And by the way, what is this thing yes. that you've created? Well, we've created a media company. I've created a media company with my two partners and besties, <sighs> Hannah Sung, who is a award-winning journalist in print, in television. She's just wonderful. She's my production partner. And Nanaba Duncan, who was formerly at CBC, who's now a professor in the Cardi Chair of Journalism and Inclusion at Carleton University. We started a company called Media Girlfriends that came out of Nanaba having started a really 
excellent sort of media networking support group Mm -hmm. (laughs) for women like us that were in the media and having very similar experiences and deciding to be there for each other. Advice, commiseration, you know, drinks, like a mate to go to events with, Mm -hmm. support system, all of those things. And out of that came a scholarship that we have given away you know, $80,000 so far. And then out of that came this company that we are producers. We produce great journalism. We do it with care and with compassion and with an eye to trauma-informed ways and approaches. We do it with intentionality, but with excellence in how we do the journalism, but also with an eye to making sure that the how we're doing it is being addressed as well. And the partnerships that we enter into are the right partnerships. And because we own something, because it's ours, because we are the ones where the buck stops, Mm. we can say yes and no to things in a way that is so freeing and so wonderful. So Media Girlfriends is a production company where we do podcasts, but we also do, you know, workshops and we're doing television production and we're doing video production and mm. writing, educating. We're doing all kinds of stuff. Mm. We're doing the things that are so intentional and so heart filling, mm. doing the hard work of creating stuff, but also doing it with an eye towards feeling as fulfilled. Like every day I wake up and say, how will we fulfill one another's ambitions and joys and personal goals today? Like, I think we all wake up asking ourselves that mm. question and finding a way to answer it. So it's just great. Well, you've designed the very ofness that you always yes. felt you didn't have. Yeah. And I think it it's like, it's easy to talk about what you don't want in a job or in your work. It's a little bit harder to say, what do you want it to be though? Mm-hmm. It's a little more intentional mm-hmm. to say, this is what I want to create. And I think the fact that Hannah, Nanaba and myself really sat down together and said, but what is it that we want? We already know what we don't want. What is it we want to create? And what does legacy look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what does, what do we want to leave behind? What do we want people to talk about when they talk about media girlfriends and talk about us as individuals? What do you want them to talk about? I want people to feel like I created a space for many different voices. I want to feel like I gave a space for stories that are important, that make us bigger, more empathetic, more loving, and a more just and equitable sort of society. I know this is, these are all big kind mm. of ideas, but, but at the end of the day, I am so unapologetic mm-hmm. about saying this is what I want my legacy to be. I was just listening to the Poet Laureate for for Toronto was talking at the Walrus Gala recently, and he talked about at the end of one's life, you see these two dates, you know, the beginning of your life and then the end date. And it's what you do in the dash that is the most important. It's that dash that we should be concentrating Mm -hmm. on, not the end date and not that start date. This is my work. This is who I Mm -hmm. am. This is the thing that I spent most of my time doing. And if I can't be super proud of it and feel like I am helping others in the pursuit of 
a fulfilling career, then I, I don't know what I'm here for, really. Like We hear about this idea of being of maximum service, mm-hmm. being a vessel for that kind of most expansive change and hope. And that's mm-hmm. what I hear you talking about is there's a real higher purpose. There's a merit for you to be using those when you were like, these are big, big words or lofty kind of goals. And yet you are so clearly coming from a higher place. What I love hearing is that it's easeful. Could you speak to how you define your own version of success today? How do you evaluate that for yourself? Because clearly those metrics have changed since your earlier Mm -hmm. days in this industry. Success can be two things. It can be an outwardly idea, but it can also be an inwardly idea. And I do think that marrying the two and thinking about how those two speak to each other, like my inner self and my outward persona, I needed them to be at peace with each other. Mm -hmm. And success to me means that what I'm putting out into the world lines up with where I internally feel like I should be. Mm. And when those two things diverge is when I feel like I have not been successful. And it's weird because those things could diverge and outwardly I look very successful. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm you know, collecting awards and people are talking about me and, you know, <laughs> people know my voice and know my name. That could be success. But if inside I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like if in my darkest hours when nobody sees me and I'm just like in my bathroom or in my room sitting on my bed, mm. am I really at peace? If these two things are married, then when I walk into my house, and I'm here with my partner and I'm dealing with my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and my daughter. And if all these things are working together well, then I'm not bringing any harsh vibes into my personal life, you know? And that's what I, that's what success looks like to me. Like, I just don't want to bring the harsh vibes of what work can be into my home life and into the parts of my life that really actually matter. I'm doing work to me right now that I think is important and I think it's impactful. I really do feel like we are are livelying up and truthifying and being a part of of the media landscape that that I think needs the most care right now. I think that we're a part of that care package, Media mm. Girlfriends is. I really do. When I come home, I'm like a happy, you know, it makes it easier to be a fulsome mm-hmm. person, you know? So success to me is two things and I and I need those two things to speak to each other. The the outward thing where people are like, hey, what's Garby Bailey doing? Oh, she's doing this, 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 and this. That's cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And inside I'm like, hey, what's Garby Bailey doing? I'm doing this, 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 and this. Cool. <laughs> if it can all work together, I'm good. What are some of the practices or structures that keep you in this 
congruity between the outer mm. and the inner self. Really being okay with examining myself all the time, like doing the full gut check and honoring that. For some people, it's therapy. For others, it's group chats, just checking in with yourself all the time to make sure that those things that you've been fine tuning all this time are still, mm-hmm. you know, well oiled. The idea of giving yourself a lot of grace, being okay with those things that you know need to be fine tuned, being okay with saying, I know that that needs to be fine tuned mm-hmm. and I'm going to do the work to do it. Mm-hmm. Not always easy to live up to your own expectations of yourself, uh, giving yourself that grace, knowing that grace has been such an important part of mm-hmm. this journey for me. I love the people that I've surrounded myself with. My mother is a best friend that she'd had for 40 plus odd years, one of their first really good friends in Canada. And she, I said, how are things with, you know, your friend? And she said, oh, good. I had her over the other day. And I said, oh, that's nice. She said, oh, yeah, we had some tea in the backyard. And I said, oh, that sounds really nice. And she said, yeah, I brought her tea. And then I sat down and I said, I release you. (laughs) And I was like, what? Wait a second. Where's the story going? What do you mean? And she said, I needed to release her of the responsibilities of our friendship Mm. because it wasn't working for us at that time. Wow. I was like, woman, what? Wow. And she said, yeah, I said, I release you. And she said she wasn't sure what that meant. And they didn't speak really for a few years after that. They came back together as friends after. But in that moment, I think my mother was saying that the things that she needed out of the relationship she wasn't getting and the things that she was able to give to the relationship she wasn't giving Mm. so in that moment no one was winning in that relationship and so every time we put ourselves out with someone like you know it's energy that could be going somewhere else Mm. so I got to tell you, Natalie, I came back to Toronto and I started releasing people. <laughs> I was like, we are not feeding each other wow. in a good way. We are not loving each other in a way friends love each other. So why are we continuing this farce? <sighs> that is next level. <laughs> next level and intentional. You know what I mean? Like doing it not like in a shady way, mm-hmm. not just ghosting someone bringing someone to you because this intentionality is a big thing bringing someone Hmm. to you and saying I love you I think that you're a wonderful person our relationship is not feeding either of us right now let's put it on the back burner instead of it taking up so much bandwidth operating system in the back of your kind of proverbial computer window exactly running yeah, the whole the time. The fan's on. It's the overheating. The fan is on the whole time. It's overheating. Nothing else can open or work well because mm. you're just running this thing in the background. That's so radical. That is not good. So I said to myself, Garvia, you have to start releasing people. <sighs> and doing that has led me to this place where I have this great company with these great people. Mm. I have a tight friend support group. Mm -hmm. I love it. I 
it's not like I don't go outside of it and I don't love the people and uh, appreciate the people that are outside of my tight core group, but my energy mm-hmm. is not infinite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh my gosh. I kind of look at it that way. And so I don't know. I think maybe a lot of people might look at that and be like, oh my gosh, but isn't there like some, some kind of like study that says that we only have the capacity to have like, uh, like a hundred friends or something. I heard, I thought you were going to say five, but I think that's more we're the result of the five people we spend our time yes, with. Exactly. So I, I'm like, I'm ab- about the five. I don't even think I have a hundred people mm, in my phone right now. Before we go, I try to do something vulnerable on every uh, episode. Oh, I as love a way. vulnerability. It's such a strength, dude. What came to mind was when you talked about giving yourself grace in one area, and I thought we could both share one area that we are working on bringing Mm. grace for ourselves. And I can go first if you want. Okay, you go first. So for me, this is very vulnerable. I'm I'm working on a forgiveness statement every day, Mm. and it's I forgive myself for judging myself as a financial failure for – my new truth is that mm-hmm. I am showing up to contribute to those I love and what I love through the pandemic really struggled with feeling like I was a financial failure and I discounted all the ways that I was contributing non-financially. Oh, my love. But it's still something that is a vice grip that I wake up with and I feel it physiologically every day. So it's a daily practice for me. Oh, man, I feel that so much. Thank you for sharing that. Mm, thank you for that's, receiving it. It's That's very vulnerable and, and raw, and I love it. And I could probably co-sign on that one and just say, ditto. <laughs> I, right? <laughs> I feel like we need to put – I need to share that because otherwise what the fuck am I doing here with this podcast? Like, that's Exactly. I don't want to be wearing a mask. As I say that, I'm like, oh, that's 10 potential clients leaving the room. But, no. Yeah. yeah. But then there's 10 more that have their eyes and hearts open to it, right? Mm-hmm. So – I just went out to breakfast with my production partner, Hannah, and two folks that we work with closely. And we talked about food a lot, going through the stress of the pandemic, going through the stress of being in a litigation with with people, and then, you know, menopause and all Mm -hmm. that. I've really had to be gracious with myself around my body and just being like, this thing has taken me through so much. I have been at certain times good to it and just awful Mm -hmm. to my own body. And I have to look at it and be gracious with myself and just be like, I love this vessel. Like I really, really do. And Again, it goes back to that outward thing, like where your ego is like, well, Garvia, you have gained Mm. blah, 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 blah. And you don't fit into that that anymore. I'm just like, dude, of course I don't fit into that anymore. (laughs) I'm not 22. (laughs) Like what? Like give yourself a break. Oh my gosh. Yes. Let us have some grace around it. Let me look at myself and just feel 
really beautiful in the person that I am, you know, because I'll tell you something. My 22 year old self was smoking hot by conventional standards, but her inner self Mm. was wilting and Mm. ugly and Mm -hmm. unhappy. I really right now am really wanting to honor my body in being healthy, Mm -hmm. certainly, but not being so hung up Mm -hmm. on the the other things Mm -hmm. that society would have me think are lacking. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know it. We have to offline this convo because this has been, (laughs) this is a whole other convo. And yeah, the body food exercise obsession for me has been a lifelong journey and you are preaching to the choir. Yeah, man. We got to give these, this vessel, this thing that we only have for a short time, Mm -hmm. you know? It's we only get it for a short time. Care so, package to the body. Care package to the body, <laughs> Natalie. Yes. Garvia, how can we give grace to you? Tell us how we can find you and follow you. Oh, absolutely. Well, you can always check out what we do at MediaGirlfriends.com and find out who we are. We're just a lovable group of gals. You can find me on, you know, Twitter if you're still in that place. I'm Garvey's child there. I'm Garvey B on Instagram. You can always just like email me at Garvia at mediagirlfriends.com if you if you want to learn more about my story. This year I'll be off for a while, so I won't be doing a lot of producing. I'm doing a Massey Fellowship. Yay. Um, thinking Amazing. and talking and thinking a lot and reading a lot and going back to kind of learning a lot which is really exciting so actually this year is probably if you just want to chat with me <laughs> it's probably a good time because i'll be careful have what you ask for. T- i know you right you might be released by the way if you reach out to garbia <laughs> in an ungraceful way she may release you i'll take you to tea but i will release you <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> you are truly an inspiration to me it's such a privilege to speak with you in this way Well, thank you so much for having this platform and just inviting me because I feel so honored to be invited to be on this podcast with you. I think that you're just a light. And whenever your name pops up, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be dealing with a light being today. Fantastic. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I receive that. Thank you. Okay, so you've heard the conversation. Now what? I got you. I'm here. I'm here to support you beyond just the episode. So check out my website. I've got some practical guides and worksheets. Yep, there's worksheets there to help you create some of the changes you want to see in your life. You can find all of that at natalieruskin.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-E. R-U-S-K-I-N dot com. I want this podcast to be successful. And on the topic of success, one of my metrics of success is to share this message with those who may benefit most from hearing it. So if you feel inspired by what you've heard here, like it. Or if a friend or colleague comes to mind, share it with them. And 
I'd love to hear from you. What topics, what themes around success would you like to hear more on? Send me a note. I'm at natalie at natalieruskin.com.